Just wait a minute. We got a job for you. I don't want no job. Why not? It's too much, too much like work, man. Listen, this is strictly nowhere. You got a lot of sick, old-fashioned ideas about working hard and living clean, and it's all a lot of junk. I'm too tired to listen. I mean, work is for suckers. You know, I like my job, Skipper. I wouldn't want to lose it. Hey, this is Chris T, and welcome back to Job Story. In this Job Story, I talk with uh, Kieran Godioso, who is... Chief Operating Officer in Ottawa, Northern New Jersey. ...all about their new report, ALICE. If you want to hear what ALICE stands for, let's listen. ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And have you had response, by the way, to that acronym so far? Have people uh, said, hey, it makes it a lot easier to relate? that there's uh this name attached to this that we uh we can we can say these people are Alice. Yes, I think the term really resonates very well with people and people understand who Alice is and it really kind of puts a face to the problem that many people experience who are working and struggling to make ends meet. So who are these people, and when we say struggling to make ends meet, I mean, are they people that are just above the poverty line, or are they people that are one Mm -hmm. or two paychecks away from uh, total financial ruin? What is the best way to help people understand what we used to call the the working poor? Sure. Um, Yes, it, it exactly is those folks who are working, oftentimes two or three jobs, Um, but that they are not making enough to cover their bills, really, or have any significant savings or savings at all. Um, If they are people that, you know, typically earn enough money so that they are just above the poverty level, the federal poverty level, which is a national number for the entire country, the ALICE report creates a minimum survival budget for families all over the country by county and municipality, Um, So that, for example, in the state of New Jersey, our recent Alice report measured that a family of four needs approximately $68,000 to live and work in New Jersey, and that includes costs for housing and transportation and childcare and food and health care. And so we really create a more accurate measure of what it costs to have a basic minimum survival. How do you how do you find those numbers? I mean, how is that? How first of all, there are a lot of different um, areas of New Jersey, some more expensive to live in than others. So, so how right. is that? How do you figure out what housing costs are, for instance, and is it relative depending on where people live? Yes, it absolutely is. It depends exactly on where 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 people live and and what the cost of living is and what the job market is like. We all of the data that we utilize is most of it comes from the American Community Survey, which is the national census data. And then we, depending on the state, we customize some of the state data around child care and taxes and other things that are unique on a state or even county level. So it's all publicly available data that we pull together to create the household survival budget. And so by these measures, um, how many more, what, what, how, how did the numbers tick upward? Because uh, one of the things that's concerning is to see that whereas we might be told on a daily basis we're at 3.9% unemployment, that doesn't mm-hmm. reflect what struggles people are actually experiencing. 
Exactly. You know, we do have more people working and the unemployment numbers are at a record low, but it doesn't really tell the true story because you have people that are often underemployed um, or people working multiple jobs. And so, you, you know, even though people are working, they're still not making enough money to support their families. Over two thirds of the jobs in our country pay less than $10 an hour. Wow, that's kind of a mind-blowing figure. What about the amount of... 20, excuse me, $20 an hour. $20 an hour. pay less than $20 an hour, yeah, um, yeah. Well, as someone who was recently, uh, who recently lost his job, um, what I'm amazed to find, too, is the number of them that want to keep you beneath the 30-hour mark. So is that part of the right. problem as well, is that these are temp yeah. jobs and part-time jobs? Yes, yes. We're seeing huge issues with the gig economy and with the... Uh, minimum, uh, you know, max hourly requirements, um, also the scheduling challenges that you often find in a lot of retail and service industries, you know, where people don't have a reliable schedule. So it's hard to have um, safe, predictable childcare because one week you're working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the following week you're working Friday to Monday. And so there are a number of kind of structural things that are also a challenge, just like you said, around the 30 hour max work week. The impact, the influx of Uber drivers is also, you know, a huge, huge issue. Um, people making cash quickly, but really having not, 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 don't really have a savings plan, not really saving for taxes. We have more people that are 1099 employees in this country than we've ever had before. And that's uh, 1099 employee is somebody who's self-reporting. Uh, it's a contract employee. They're paying right. their own taxes quarterly, that kind of thing. They're not having exactly. anything deducted. They're not getting any benefits. They're essentially drawing a paycheck, and that's about it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so w why is this happening? I mean, we are uh, hearing also on a daily basis not only the low unemployment figures at 3.9%, but how much this tax cut, this recent tax cut, is returning to the coffers mm -hmm. of these corporations. Are they not investing it? in wages and salary? Where, where is all that money going? You know, that's a great question. And that's part of what we're trying to figure out with the release of this national data. We're trying to bring together corporations and small businesses and medium businesses to really have that conversation and dig deep and say, well, what am I doing? How am I contributing? How am I helping? There are many, many companies that have chosen to you know, pay a living wage and really work hard to support their workforce. Um, many, many examples across the country. Our, our press event in D.C. two weeks ago featured a number of best practices um, collected by the National Fund for Workforce Solutions. So we are seeing companies really acknowledging this problem and increasing their wages and creating a lot of wraparound support services. But there's a lot more work to be done, in particular, you know, in the service and retail industry. So uh, what about the idea of uh, also the amount of time these folks are spending traveling back and forth to these jobs? I always feel like this is a secret tax that nobody really yeah. talks about, that apparently low-income people have nothing but time, and you often hear stories about people traveling two hours to a job because that's where their job mm -hmm. is. I'm, I'm talking about two hours each way to a job. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, especially in a place like New Jersey where, you know, you've got, you know, a relatively small kind of densely populated geography. 
you have incredible work-life patterns and people commuting a lot, you know, across the borders and paying double taxes, all because they're trying to get the best job possible. Um, and what are some of the ways that uh, we can take action against this and and try to close that gap between mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 amount that somebody needs to sustain their family and the amount they're actually earning? Should we? Um, if we're employers, if we have companies, what should we be doing? If we're uh, not employers and we don't have companies, what should we be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we can all contribute to this issue and, and raise our voices in different ways. I think, you know, for those of us who have children in childcare every day or parents in assisted living facilities, you know, I think it's it's acknowledging and recognizing um, the Alice population that we come in touch with and come in contact with every day and that, quite frankly, that we rely on um, and making sure that wherever possible, you know, we connect with those individuals either, you know, as a, with appreciation or raising our voices and, and asking the employers, you know, how are these folks being compensated? What, what's the pay scale? What are the opportunities for advancement? We're, this is such a critical component to my daily life. Um, so I think those are things that we can do individually and really think, live very intentionally about how we support our wait staff and, and people that get us coffee or the mechanics or the childcare staff, things like that. Um, you know, in many ways, it's very personal because Alice is a huge part of our economy and our workforce. And a lot of those jobs, even with artificial intelligence coming the way it is, many of those jobs are not going to disappear, especially on the caregiving side. You can't really replace, you know, a caregiver or a child care worker with a computer. Um So I think there's that. And then I think there are, you know, things on a state by state local community level that can be done from a public policy perspective and working with legislators, working with public officials to talk about what what services and, and benefits are available for the Alice population. Currently, really the only federal benefit that Alice can take advantage of is food stamps, SNAP, in many cases and not always. Um, it really depends on, on their income levels. So I think there's a lot of effort that can be done to provide Alice some temporary financial support in times of well, when they're really at their rock bottom. Since consciousness has been raised about this, are you seeing any improvement? We heard about this big box store years ago who were essentially offering um, offering the seminars mm-hmm. to their employees about how they could apply for public assistance because <laughs> they weren't being paid enough at their job. So I know. are things getting yeah. better on that front or are they about where they were? You know, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you are seeing a more public recognition of the fact that there are companies are taking responsibility and are trying to compensate their employees and pay a living wage. So I think there has been a lot of movement and, but I think there's way more, we have a lot more work to do. I think that, you know, you do have some incredible examples and collaborations across the country of really focusing on raising public, public awareness and, and really raising a living wage, but we have a lot more work to do. And uh, before we're done, I just want to ask about the demographics of uh, people mm-hmm. who are asset limited, income constrained, yeah. yet employed. Are we talking about cutting across all the barriers of, mm-hmm. uh, of race? And are we talking about uh, civilians and returning veterans as well? I mean, who are yeah. these people? 
Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And the one thing that we see in our research across every state that we've studied intensely so far is that it absolute Alice does not discriminate. It does. It's not one set of you know by race or one set of um, a, a particular geography. We're not talking about just rural folks. We're not just talking about people of color. We're really talking about the entire population. Um, a lot of seniors. Um, it really depends on each state, each county. It's very different based on the demographics. And, and again, really, uh, you know, these are these are people being forced to make decisions between paying the rent or getting their prescription filled or mm-hmm. uh, whether or exactly. not to uh, go and, and get some child care or to uh, take their kids, try to take their kids with them to work. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. balancing and decision making that goes on constantly that must be adding to uh, the stress levels these people have had anyway, and yeah. and thereby leading to more uh, bad health outcomes, thereby leading to more cost right. for all of us. I mean, at yeah. some point, don't we all bear the cost for these people being underpaid? Yes, you're absolutely right. You, you said it perfectly. The, the number one indicator for physical, mental, and emotional health is poverty. The long-term traumatic impact of making those kinds of stressful decisions, living with anxiety, going to bed every night, not knowing how you're going to feed your family the next day or, you know, pick up your son's medication. The long-term impact of that is detrimental. And that's something that we're really interested in studying further and partnering with some health organizations to really look at, you know, kind of long-term health outcomes and what the connect is to the ALS population. And we know intuitively that it's not good. Um, but we'd like to, that's, that's something that's on the horizon that we'd like to explore further. And uh, we should make the point again that this is everywhere all across the nation, even though uh, so far the United Way has done studies in a number of states, not all of them, obviously, in the United States. But uh, if you go to unitedwayalice.org, you can see uh, all of the places where they so far have done this research and have gathered these numbers, and what would you say in terms of uh, how we can spread the word? What's the best way for anyone listening right now to get the word out on this? Should they be talking about it on social media, and and what else should they be doing? Absolutely. I mean, social media is the the number one way to spread the word. The the press event uh, a few weeks ago created an incredible amount of social media hits and touch points on all the different channels and outlets. And so that is the number one place. And you can access a lot of that from the United Way Alice website. And I think really any opportunity that each of us have to bring it into a committee meeting, into your church or your synagogue or your school board or your workplace and say, hey, listen, have you heard about Alice? This is something we really need to talk about. Look at this data. We're talking about over 40% of households in the United States are struggling and cannot meet, meet, have, meet ends every month. So this is really something, as you said, you know, these are, are folks that, in, in the end, we're all, if Alice is suffering, we're all suffering. And uh, we should acknowledge your part in this as well, because it was really something that started in New Jersey, in Morris County, and yeah. uh, from mm-hmm. a report that published uh, in 2009 across the state and then onto the national level as well, 16 states and counting. And uh, thanks to not only uh, Kieran Godioso, but John Franklin as well, and Stephanie 
hoops yeah. at the United Way of Northern New Jersey for spearheading this uh, research and getting the word out there and spreading uh, the information that is so important to not only informing your friends and neighbors on social media, but speaking with our elected representatives, because we're going to need at some point legislation as well. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We've been doing a lot of that advocacy work in New Jersey with many coalition partners for Alice and absolutely. And legislators want to know how they can help with, they know who Alice is. They look at the data and they say, oh, I, I know this. I get the constituent calls. I know people are struggling. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful way to work in a very bipartisan way to think about solutions to solving some of the barriers for families. You can share your story, too. If you think you are Alice, yeah. you can yeah. go to unitedwayalice.org and share your story. And I'm sure that there's a closet somewhere at United Way of Northern New Jersey stocked with Kleenex because these are not happy stories. So how no, do you how do you steal right. yourself? How do you steal yourself? Uh, this is a personal question, but how do you steal oh. yourself to return and do this work every day? It's got to be emotionally affecting. It is. It is. Um, but I think you know the feedback has been so terrific, and the mission is so critical that. Um, you know, we just sort of take it one day at a time. And when we get those calls and those requests for direct help, we do everything we can to make those connections and referrals and, and get people the help that they need. You know, I've been really fortunate to be in mission-driven organizations my whole career. And Alice is what brought me to United Way, the opportunity to use data to make decisions around resources and figure out how to build community. So I, I'm really fortunate to be here and, and just proud to be part of the team. Uh, I thank you for spending some time with me today. And uh, again, if you want to help, you can go to unitedwayalice.org. And uh, I want to thank uh, Kieran Godioso for spending some time with us today to talk about the Alice Report. And again, if you think you're an asset-limited, income-constrained, employed person, they would like to hear your story at unitedwayalice.org. Thank you again, Kieran. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. It was right. wonderful to speak with you. This is Chris T. Thanks again for listening to Job Story. Job Story is available on SoundCloud and iTunes and coming soon to a platform near you. We have a brand new email address. If you want to drop me a line and tell me your job story, it's jobstorypod at gmail.com. Jobstorypod at gmail.com. Nobody has a right to booze unless he earns some money. I don't want to be a law. You don't work, you don't drink. Suppose you tune in next week to see if I'm still on the job.